Morning, everyone. Thank you so much, Richard and Gordon and John and Rosemary. The teaching of uh, Jesus is it's radical, it's revolutionary, it's countercultural. And nowhere is, is this more apparent than in the so called Sermon on the Mount. The speech that changed and continues to change our world, a speech that we've been looking at together for four months now. And one of the key reasons why this speech stands out and why it is so arresting is it because it, it presents a way of life that is outside of the norm. A way of life that if and when lived out actually changes things. Uh, The teaching of Jesus in this speech or this amalgamation of speeches that's recorded for us in Matthew 5, 6 and 7. It is genuinely transformational. Because it describes what living in an alternative kingdom. God's kingdom the kingdom of heaven, it describes what it looks like for first century and 21st century disciples. And as we have worked our way through through these verses and we've covered 72 verses to date, we've still 39 left, we've been exploring what it actually means for us, the called, the blessed, the salt of the earth, the light of the world, because that's, according to Jesus, what our identity is. We've been looking at what it means for us to embrace this radical and revolutionary teaching. What what does it actually mean? Not just to hear it, but to embrace it and then to live it. And what we have discovered or what I hope we've been discovering is that it constantly challenges our thinking and understanding. Constantly. About heart and, and life issues plus This teaching actually clashes to a very large extent with the values and perspectives of the society and the culture in which we live. And so, for example, and and, and think about how out of sync this is with the world. Just think about how out of the norm this is. It teaches us to love our enemies and pray for those who give us a hard time. It teaches us to forgive those who sin against us. It teaches us to be true to our word. It teaches us to address our anger. It teaches us to ruthlessly deal with our lust. It teaches us to give generously, to pray, to fast. It teaches us not to store up treasure on earth, but to store it up in heaven. It's all so otherworldly. It's all so upside down. It's all so radical. It's all so different. It's all so exciting. And as we keep reading and listening to the next installment in this speech, as we're about to do this morning, the challenges and the surprises just don't let up. Because in Matthew 6, Verse 25, which I think is page 971 in the Red Pew Bibles. Jesus instructs us, and Richard has been thinking about this this morning already. Jesus instructs us not to worry. And then he spends 10 verses, which is actually a substantial amount. He spends 10 verses explaining why we shouldn't. Now, even before we read the text... 
That very idea, that, that suggestion, that command sounds completely ridiculous. Like, who doesn't worry? Who isn't worried about something? Who could even contemplate a worry-free existence? Let's be honest. Some of us are distracted with worry right now. Some of us have missed most of what I've said because you've started to worry about something. The dinner. The people coming around this afternoon. Family. Work tomorrow. Situation at home. Relationships. Etc. Whatever. And therefore, whenever you hear that phrase, do not worry. Whenever you hear Jesus said, there's a tendency to kind of switch off. Because this is just idealism. This is just fanciful thought. It's simply impossible. And yet if Jesus said it, and if Jesus taught it, then it's vital surely that we engage with it because the prospect of avoiding a lot of needless anxiety and stress, I don't know about you, but the prospect of avoiding a lot of that is quite appealing and worth contemplating. So let's read these verses together. Now we usually stand, but we're going to keep our seats this morning. Because I want us to read these words slowly. Verse 25. Therefore I tell you. Now, whenever a section of God's word begins with the word therefore, you immediately realize that it's connected to what has gone before. And so you know that what's about to come flows from what has just been said and what has just been taught. And if you were here last week, you'll know that Jesus has been speaking about the importance of stockpiling treasure in heaven. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is. That's one of those really searching phrases of Jesus. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. As we've been saying time and time again, another one of those phrases, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart is, according to verse 21. And so Jesus explicitly goes on to say, in light of that fact, kingdom people cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Because the choice you make will determine the focus of your worship. So it's either or, it's never both and. Choose money, and it's going to become a primary object of your affection, which will result in you spending vast amount of time and energy accumulating and surrounding yourself with stuff, with treasure on earth. That, that's just the way it works whenever you serve money. It's a poor master. It just dictates your life. Whereas if you choose God, and you serve him wholeheartedly, and primarily, then you will offer, according again to scripture, you will offer true worship. And you'll see life through a, a big picture eternal lens. You'll not be so tied to the here and now. And as Jesus then continues in verse 25, therefore I tell you, 
When he continues with this, therefore I tell you, and goes on to speak about worry, you cannot help but sit up and take notice, because let's be honest, how many of our worries are money-related? How many of our worries are money-related? All of them, some of them, significant chunk of them. And see, Jesus was acutely aware of how wealth competes for the human heart. And so as he continues teaching about our attitude to money, he has lots more to say that communicates alternative kingdom values which definitely clash with the materialistic values of our culture and the kingdom of this world. Let's read on. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Now some people read and hear that phrase And think, Jesus was advocating a kind of shrug your shoulders, couldn't care less attitude to life. That seems nothing short of irresponsible and careless. And if you think that, you're right. That is, if you take that phrase at face value and lift it out of context. Or, I love this whatever this thing that this guy said is, when interpreted in a superficial manner, this statement could only have been written by a single guy living a carefree life on a beach in sunny Galilee. (laughs) Brilliant. Fair point. But then there's nothing superficial or trivial about the teaching of Jesus. So we've got to dig deeper. So whenever Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What, what, was he, what was he really getting at? Now, before we get to the specific things that Jesus says we're not to worry about and why, it's probably worth investigating this word worry a little further, or at least the word that has translated worry in Matthew 6.24. It is used in other places in the New Testament. Let me give you two examples of where this word appears, or the original word you know, that it's based on. 1 Corinthians 7, Philippians 2. But in those chapters... The word that appears in most of our translations, if if you read 1 Corinthians 7 and Philippians 2, the word that appears there is not worry. The word is concern. And so in the first reference, Paul talks about the concern certain people have for the church in Corinth. And in the second, in Philippians 2, he highlights the genuine concern that Timothy has for the believers at Philippi. And so I think it's really important to make the point That being concerned or being worried for others and for their welfare and having a concern that actually motivates us to care is entirely appropriate. And it's not the main thrust of Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you're here this morning and you're thinking, you know, I am worried about a family member And yet I'm hearing you say, therefore, do not worry about your life. And you're just thinking, sorry, I can't relate to this, can't connect to this. This makes no sense to me at all. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're worried about someone in your family who's unwell or who's suffering, if you're here this morning and you're concerned about human rights issues in Syria, if you're worried about a friend who's walking away from God, if you're worried about the unrest in Ukraine, if you're worried about a relationship close to you that's breaking down, those are healthy concerns. Perfectly understandable. And they indicate that you are engaged with your world. 
And as the people of God, as kingdom dwellers, what we are then urged to do, what we are then compelled to do, if we have that kind of a worry or that kind of a concern, we are compelled and urged to pray for and pray about others. So if you're here and worried about someone else, that's okay. It's a good thing. It's not what we're dealing with here in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is not suggesting we shouldn't care about those around us. But what he is teaching is that we as kingdom people should not be worried, should not be acutely anxious about our own lives. And specifically with regard to what we eat, drink and wear. Now, hands up if you got a little stressed out about what to wear to church this morning. Hands up if you spend most mornings staring at the wardrobe, worried about what to wear. Or you've been invited to something and you're now worried about what you're going to wear to that event. For many people, the seemingly straightforward command of Jesus, do not be worried about your life, what to wear. Sorry, just break it all the time. So what's it really getting at? Is that what it's getting at? What is Jesus actually challenging? What's he he getting us to wrap our heads and our hearts around? And as you read on, I want to suggest that ultimately it boils down to a couple of key issues. Priorities and trust. It's the two issues. And so rather than go away this morning only hearing those three words that kind of top this section in the NIV translation at least, do not worry. That's really not what I want you to go away this morning with. I hope and pray we will actually go away this morning to reflect further on our priorities and the location of our trust. That's the two things I want us to take this morning. Take away and reflect on what are your priorities? Where's your trust? Let's explain. Look Look at the end of verse 25. And look at the question or the double question that Jesus asks. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothes? Now, it wasn't that Jesus is saying these things don't matter. Of course they do. We need food in our stomachs. We need clothes on our back. And let's not forget that when Jesus shared these words first time around, most of the people listening to Jesus were extremely poor by our standards. Most of them were living from day to day, literally living from day to day. Many of them were struggling to survive. And therefore, these words, whenever Jesus said to them, is life not more than food? Is it not more? Is your body not more than clothes? These words and ideas carried far greater weight than they maybe do for us. Or than they do for some people in some places in our world today. But the point was this. There's something far more important in life than food and clothes. Far more important than the physical and the material. These things matter, yes, but if they become what life is all about, if they define your life, if they dictate your life, then your priorities are all wrong and are in danger of becoming all wrong. See, if you live life on a purely material and physical level, If you invest all your time on energy, on material things, storing up treasures on earth, serving money, those are not or should not be 
priorities of kingdom people. And to emphasize or kind of hammer home the point, you've got to jump down to verses 31 and 32, where Jesus says, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? And then he says this strong statement, for the pagans run after those things. It's not what you're about. The pagans run after those things. These things are and increasingly become the focus, the drivers, the priorities of non-kingdom dwellers. These things consume them. These things stress them out. These things determine their agendas and their schedules. Having more, getting more, accumulating more. That's what becomes the driver. That's what sets the agenda. But you are to be radically different. You're to have other priorities that shape your life and how you live. And here they are. Here's your priorities. Here they are in a nutshell in what has come to be one of the most important, best known, often quoted statements in the entire Sermon on the Mount. Verse 33. Seek first his kingdom. And his righteousness. There's your priority. Here's what needs to dictate, determine and define your life. We are to seek after and pursue God's kingly rule and reign in our lives and our environments. What does that mean? It means submitting to his authority, submitting to his lordship, obeying what he has commanded. This is about God as number one in our lives. This is about what? It's about loving your enemies. This is about forgiving those who sin against you. This is about speaking truth. This is about praying. This is about giving. This is about fasting. This is about addressing your anger. This is about ruthlessly dealing with your lust so on and so on this is about putting God right at the center of your life every area of your life this is about adopting the values and attitudes and behaviors that God affirms this is about a life of discipleship that is characterized by a single-minded pursuit of God this doesn't mean we don't or shouldn't acquire possessions or wealth or that we don't need food or clothing or other necessities. But you know what it does mean? It means we don't run after these things. We don't live for these things. Instead, we live for God. We live for his kingdom, his righteousness, his ways. We serve him and him alone These become our priority. This is what we seek first and foremost. And so my question or one of my questions for you this morning is this. What are your priorities in life? Like honestly, I've been asking myself this question during the week. What am I pursuing? What am I seeking after? How does what I seek after align with kingdom values and godly living? Or are they out of sync? But alongside and and, and mixed into all of this teaching here is the issue of trust. And I suppose the other question I want us to take away from this morning is this. Do we trust God with our lives? 
our day-to-day lives. Jesus makes the point that as we seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, in other words, as we pursue the right priorities in life, then what's the next bit? We know it. All these things will be given to you as well. And all these things refers, it seems, to what the pagans run after. It's all these things that you're not to worry about, what you eat and what you drink and what you wear. They'll all, they'll all, they'll, you'll get those. They'll be there for you. Jesus encourages us to trust God to look after those things. Jesus encourages us to rest in God's compassionate care. And I find it really interesting how, how Jesus describes God in this little section. doesn't refer to him as God. How does he refer to him as? Your heavenly father. Emphasizing God's intimate and personal concern. To highlight how like any good parent, God's going to take care of you. God's going to watch over you. God's going to provide for you. And so worrying, getting stressed out or becoming acutely anxious about your life is pointless. It's pointless. It won't, to quote verse 27, it won't add a single hour to your life. So why are we bothering? And to help us get a handle on this and to illustrate the point, Jesus encourages us to go bird watching and visit a flower show. In other words, he just says, look, just take a look at God's creation. Just take a look at God's creation. The birds of the air don't suffer from too many stomach ulcers. The flowers of the field don't get overly anxious about looking beautiful. If you ever doubt that God cares for you, take a walk on the outside and then realize that the most valuable thing in all of God's creation is what? The most valuable thing in all of God's creation is you. Look at verse 27. Are you not much more valuable than these? Birds and flowers are a constant reminder of how valuable you are to God and how committed he is to you. So stop worrying about your own life and start trusting. And then this little phrase, you of little faith. It's an interesting comment, isn't it, at the end of verse 30? You of little faith. Because I reckon that's probably how most of us feel. That's how I feel. And I don't believe Jesus says this here to make anyone feel bad about themselves. That's not what Jesus was about. It was simply a recognition that we do struggle at times to believe God for the all these things will be given to you as well. Do, do, do 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 you ever struggle to believe that all these things will be given to you as well? And so you get stressed out and you get worried and you get anxious. Jesus said, what are you doing? Don't go there. Trust. Don't beat yourself up. If you think you've got little faith, just go bird watching and take a walk around a garden center. And you know something? You might just find yourself shifting from worry to trust. So away and visit B&Q this afternoon. No, don't go there. Don't believe, you know, you do. Okay, I'm getting myself in trouble. Keep going. George Muller once said this. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. Let me give you another quote. I'm just throwing these out. Provocative one. Worry is practical atheism and an affront to God. But maybe David Yurt hit the nail in the head when he wrote this. The opposite of worry, fear, and anxiety is faith, or better still, it's trust. 
If you were to trust in God as simply and as completely as the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, we would not be anxious. We would still have responsibilities, but we'd not be anxious about them. So let me ask you again. Do you trust God with your life and what you need? Or are you anxiously running around pursuing all the wrong priorities? And only you and I can answer that. Only you and I can answer that. And one final thought that may help. And it springs out of the final verse in Matthew 6. Do you know something? Just live one day at a time. This starts now. It's probably why back in verse 11, Jesus taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread. That, that's, that's all we need. Give us today our daily bread. You see, today, today is enough for most of us to handle. If you focus on what God wants to do in your life today, you might be surprised at how small your anxieties seem and how realigned your priorities become. Just live a day at a time. Start seeking God's kingdom as a priority in your life. Today. Today. And make sure you're placing your trust in the right place. Do you know what we sang as the communion, as the wine was given out? We sang, and I will trust in you alone. I want to suggest that was easy to sing. It's actually really difficult to live. So may God help us.